Good morning and happy new year, Christ Central. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church, and I'll be bringing the word today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Let's turn there together. It'll also be projected for you on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting from verse 7 to 10. This is God's word. Let's give our attention and reverence. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. Please join me in a quick word of prayer. Let's ask the Lord for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is always a lamp at our feet. And we pray that your word would cause us this morning to make much of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage today, Apostle Paul, he talks about this thorn in his flesh that he begged and pleaded with God to take away even three times. And we don't know exactly what this thorn was, uh, but there are a lot of guesses out there. Some scholars think it was some kind of eye problem, like a, an ailment with his eyes. And I do think there's a pretty decent amount of uh, evidence in the Bible, in the New Testament, to support that hypothesis. There are others who think maybe he had a speech impediment, a handicap with his speech. That was the thorn in his flesh. Others have guessed maybe it wasn't a physical problem, but a struggle with anxiety or depression. Still others have guessed that maybe this thorn in Paul's flesh was actually people. People who persistently opposed him and frustrated him. Maybe you have specific people in your life that you call a thorn in your flesh or the bane of your existence. Ultimately, we'll never know for sure what exactly this thorn in Paul's flesh was. And the running joke is that uh, we like to project whatever we're struggling with. We say, maybe that was the thorn in Paul's flesh. And even though we don't know, we don't need to know what it was in order to understand the point that Paul is trying to make in our passage today. Because what matters for, for what Paul is saying is that Paul did not get what he asked for. He asked for this thorn to be removed, and he didn't get it. If you or I wrote this story, uh, if it was a movie or something, maybe it would, it would end with Paul after having gone through all this hardship and because he prayed so hard, all his wishes would come true and his dreams would come true and this thorn would be taken away. But that's not what happened. And instead we get an even greater conclusion that only God can give. I'm sure everyone listening in this morning has their own thorn in their flesh. I mean, the whole year of 2020 has been a big thorn for us all, I'm sure. And maybe things will get better in this new year, and we certainly hope that it does. But we also don't know that for sure either. 
But the point that Paul makes is that if you have Jesus, you can have this greater conclusion. The thorn, even when it doesn't get taken away, Paul can end by saying in verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so for the remainder of our time today, I just want to parse this simple phrase. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's parse that together. We must recognize there's an order, right? When I am weak, then I am strong. So we must start by admitting our weakness. The Christian life always starts by admitting that everything's not okay. Everything's not okay with me. I don't have it all together. Once again, I think 2020 made it easy to admit that and recognize that. And Paul, he gives us this list of weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And you could summarize that as bad things happening to you. But for the sake of the bigger picture, I want to define weakness not only as bad things happening to you, but bad things happening because of you. The Bible would call that sin, of course. And of course, surely there are weaknesses in our lives that are not sinful. We have weaknesses. We experience weaknesses that are out of our control. That's not sin. But at the same time, our sin is our greatest weakness. And we cannot admit weakness without admitting our sin. Our sinful actions and reactions our sinful attitudes, our sinful motivations. And this is all our lived experience of weakness. Fallen people with fallen actions living in a fallen world. And when we start by admitting this, when we start by admitting our weakness, two things happen. I just want to share two things that happen. First, we humbly lose our sense of entitlement. We lose our sense of entitlement. Paul asked for God to take away whatever this thorn was. And he had every right to ask and to plead and to pray. And and you should as well with whatever your thorns might be. But the question to ask ourselves is, what happens when you don't get what you ask for? What happens when, like Paul, your thorn does not get taken away? When you recognize that weakness is going to be a guaranteed part of our experience, even as Christians, we lose that sense of God owes me. God, you owe me. There can actually be even contentment, as Paul says, when the disappointments come. During my sabbatical, uh, I I read one of the books that I read was by an author named Clay Werner. He's a pastor who wrote a book for other pastors. And in that book, he shares a story about how one of his children was born with a life-threatening heart condition. And he shares about how, as he was racing to the hospital uh, for the sake of his newborn's surgery, you know, as he was speeding in his car, this thought came to his mind where he said, God, I've, I've done so much for you And this is what I get. And he confesses this, that that this was the the question in his heart. This is what I get after everything I've done for you, God. And he knew immediately that there was something very wrong about that thought. 
as if somehow uh, by being a good pastor, and I believe he was and is a good pastor, by being a good pastor and, and working hard for the Lord, that meant he was entitled to a life where he wouldn't experience and his family wouldn't experience the sort of hardship. He had to repent of this mindset of, God, you owe me. You owe me because I did all this good stuff for you. And I, I don't think that normally we say things like this out loud, but I do think this is a common temptation for us all, especially when bad things happen to us, when we're in the, in the thick of experiencing our weakness. Whether you're a pastor or not, a Christian or not even, we are all subject to weakness as fallen human beings living in a fallen world. And you know what? Jesus, he never promised that we wouldn't experience weakness. He never promises that. He never promised that uh, just because you follow him and you belong to him, that somehow life will be easy and you'll be free from weakness and hardship and pain even. And he actually doesn't promise that 2021 will be easy either. He doesn't promise that. And we can actually hear this from him. We can actually take this from him because we know that Jesus himself, though he is God, he willingly experienced weakness and yet without sin. And of course, to the point of even dying on a cross for you and for me. Tim Keller once wrote, any person who only sticks with Christianity as long as things are going his or her way is a stranger to the cross. If our own Lord experienced weakness, if God himself became a man and experienced weakness, it becomes clear that we are not entitled to a life without weakness here on this earth either. So that's the first thing that happens. When we start by admitting weakness, we, we lose that sense of entitlement. But we also gain a greater sense of our need. When we start by admitting our weakness, we gain a greater sense of our need. And that's the best thing that can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is for you to need something, but you don't even know that you need it. That's the worst thing that can happen to you. But the best thing is when you need something and it becomes very clear to you that you need it. And, and you recognize, I, I, need, I, need, I need to get what I need. And that's what Paul's getting at when he hears Jesus' voice saying, my grace is sufficient for you. When you recognize your weakness, when you see your neediness, you experience the sufficiency of God's grace to you. You experience the sustaining power of God's grace to you. Not only to save you, not only to forgive you, not only to get you into heaven, which is all so important. That's so important. But not only just for that, but also his grace to sustain you until that day comes when you're in heaven with him. After all, isn't going to church, isn't tuning into this online worship, praying, reading the Bible, attending small group, aren't all of those things really an admission of our weakness? Don't we do these things because basically we're saying, I need this. I am needy. I need Jesus. And similarly, I need my brothers and my sisters. And that's why we do this. And when your sense of need is there, when you admit and see and, and, and recognize your weakness, and therefore you gain the sense of your need, that's when worship really becomes powerful. 
That's when, when we go to the word of God and when we find ourselves on our knees in prayer, that's when those things are truly powerful because you know you need it. But it's really hard for that to happen if we don't see our weakness first. When I was an adolescent before Jesus broke into my life and into my heart, uh, there was this period in my life where I had to go to anger management sessions. It was not voluntary. It was court ordered. And there was something kind of funny and ridiculous about it because we would, we would have to go to these classes or these sessions. But the problem was everyone who was there, we were all in the same boat. We were all troublemakers violent offenders even, teenagers who had to be there. And I don't think really anyone got anything out of it. Uh, in fact, I remember a fist fight broke out after one of these sessions because two people who were trying to be very tough, you know, got in an argument. And, and this would go on for weeks and weeks, uh, this sort of fruitless feeling, uh, this feeling of why, why am I even here? Uh, because we all have to be here. But one of those sessions, uh, one of the attendees, he spoke up, this meek young man, and he, he revealed that he actually was there voluntarily. No, the court didn't make him go to this. He didn't get in trouble. That's not why he was there. But he was there because he struggled with anger. And he, he confessed that and he re re revealed that. And he said, I'm here because I want help. But you guys are all just not taking this seriously. And he was kind of mad at all of us. And I don't know if anyone got anything out of these anger management sessions, but you can be sure that guy, he got something out of it because he knew his need. And he was there because he was needy. Jesus himself, he said that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And you know, when everything is going well, when we think everything is well about us, it's hard to have a sense of need. But when you come face to face with your weakness, when you understand how needy you really are, that's when the grace of God becomes all the more satisfying, all the more nourishing, all the more sufficient for you. You know, we're having our next drive-in worship service soon, and I've heard this from several people that after partaking in uh, the drive-in worship, and especially after partaking in communion, they say something along the lines of, I didn't realize how much I needed this. Now, that's what happens when, when we come to God and we come humbly recognizing our weakness. We recognize, I had this great need, and only Christ, be it through his word, or be it in prayer, or worship, or, or fellowship, or even something as important and necessary as communion, the Lord's Supper. That's when you get your need filled. Just like Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for him, for the gospel, they will be filled. We recognize and start by admitting our weakness. We start by admitting we are hungry, we are thirsty. And Jesus tells us, my grace is sufficient for you, and he fills us. That's the first part of the sentence. We must start by admitting our weakness. But we don't just stop there. We move on. When I'm weak, then I am strong. We start by admitting our weakness, but then we become strong uniquely in Jesus. Paul says, then I am strong, right? He doesn't just get stuck on his weakness. He doesn't just rest his entire identity and his entire life on his weakness and his brokenness and his, his problems. And you and I shouldn't do that either. 
We are to move away from framing our identity only on our weakness, only on our brokenness, as if that's all we are. And we move on to strength. I do think some of us are too good at never admitting our weakness. Some of us are too good at that. And then on the other hand, there are some of us who are too good at only seeing weakness when we see ourselves. And we are to do neither. Like Martin Luther once said, uh, that we are simultaneously sinner and righteous at the same time. I'll spare you guys the Latin phrase. But he says we are both saint and sinner at the same time. And we need to see both. Even in our text in verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, when you admit and acknowledge your weakness and you don't deny it, you don't hide your weakness, the power of Christ rests in you. Quite literally, the power of Christ dwells in you. The power of Christ lives in you. And this is a real power. This is true power. It's a power that that changes your identity. It's a power that changes your mindset. It's a power that changes even your ability to move forward in this life, even in the midst of weakness. Lately, I've been reading some articles uh, and different pastors and different authors talking about this trend, especially in the younger generation, where perhaps there's too great a focus on brokenness and weakness for uh, many societal reasons. It seems that just uh, there's a tendency to focus mainly on weakness. And many of these pastors, they say, basically our message needs to be more and more, not just you are broken and you are weak, but also you can be strong because of Jesus. You can actually have power in him. And of course, it's important. Once again, the order is important. We must start with weakness, but we do not just stay there. After all, there are too many verses in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament to count that that call us to be strong in the Lord, to take courage because of the Lord. And when you read the scriptures, it is quite clear that there's nothing inherently wrong with strength and success and excellence, and hard work, and even wealth. But within the Christian framework, we recognize that there's also a warning for those who have those things, that perhaps it is harder to admit our weakness if you have a lot of those things. And we must be all the more careful that we are admitting our weakness if you have a lot of those things. But the point is, we do move on to strength. We start with weakness and we move on to strength. And this is a strength that doesn't come from yourself, but that comes only in Christ. And I want to point out just two aspects of of this strength in Jesus. First of all, that strength is a strength to endure. It's a strength to endure. That pastor, that author I mentioned a little bit earlier, Clay Werner, uh, he speaks of this sort of strength and he describes it as resurrection power. He didn't coin that term, but he uses that term, resurrection power. And it's this idea that for all of us as Christians, as people who trust in a resurrected Lord, as people who trust in Jesus who died and rose again, that means that 
the power of Jesus that lives in us, it's not always this power to win and to succeed and just for everything to be going well all the time. But resurrection power does mean it is a power that allows us to die and rise again. It's a power that allows us to lose, but to keep moving forward. Clay Werner, that pastor, he speaks of people in his congregation, uh, how they are evidences of resurrection power. He speaks of people in his congregation who have lost loved ones, who have lost parents, who have lost children, and yet they worship God in the midst of their tears and brokenness. He speaks of people in various life stages, struggling with different circumstances, infertility, marital conflict, loneliness, and yet there is power in the midst of that weakness as these people continue to be transparent as they pray and ask for prayer, as they seek help and as they seek the Lord above all else. And this isn't just true about Clay Werner's church. This is true about Christ Central as well. These are all evidences of resurrection power. And he concludes by saying, resurrection power may heal the hurt or, or it may simply give us the strength to endure. Either way, Resurrection power meets us in our weakness. And I love how he says that. He says, sometimes, yes, the power of Christ, it will heal you completely and and there will be no more pain. But there will also be times when the pain remains. But the power of Christ means that also you can remain and you can endure. And Jesus actually meets you even in that pain. And that's why Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I can't help but think of this imagery of, uh, of, of working out, of exercise. I know none of us have been to a gym in a very long time. But I also know a lot of our folks at our church, you know, they like to work out and lift weights and things like that. And uh, there's a reason why you get sore when you exercise, right? I'm no expert at these things, but I've read a little bit that, you know, when you're, when you're lifting weights or doing uh, uh, exercise, you get sore because your muscles, in effect, are, are kind of being broken down. There are these microscopic tears in your muscle fibers. And the, the idea is the new fibers that form are, are stronger and bigger. And I do think that's a great analogy for life as we all experience weakness. But you might be thinking, well, well, Pastor, didn't you say that the strength we find and have in Jesus is unique? That we have this unique strength in Jesus? What's unique about uh, just when, we're weak, when we become weak, we become stronger? Isn't that the stuff that the world says? Stuff like, uh, what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Or no pain, no gain. Or the phoenix rises from the ashes. Some cliche like that. Isn't that just what the world says too? Isn't that what all the influencers say too? Isn't that what uh, uh, inspirational speakers say too? And let me tell you what makes Jesus unique in this framework of weakness. It's found in verse 10. I think it's just five very important words here. In verse 10, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses. It's for the sake of Christ That when I am weak, then I am strong. And what Paul is talking about in our passage 
about the Christian life is not that you get broken and you experience weakness simply so that you can be bigger and you can be stronger. Although it's true, yes, you will become stronger. You will become more resilient, but not so that you can be so big, but because Christ, so that Christ can become bigger. Like John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. And what else does he say when he says that? He says, now, because I have decreased and Christ has increased, now my joy is complete. Now I have a true strength in him. Even in our own passage in verse 7, Paul talks about how this thorn was given to him in his flesh. And he uses this phrase twice, to keep me from becoming conceited. And I like how the New American Standard Bible translates that phrase as to keep me from exalting myself. I experienced this thorn in my flesh to keep me from exalting myself. And the strength that we uniquely have in Jesus is not only a strength to endure, but also a strength to exalt someone else. To exalt not me, but someone other than myself. We get broken, we experience weakness, we experience even pain so that Christ would become bigger. So that it's Christ whose strength you and I gain. And actually, actually that's the greatest strength we can ever have. It's, it's a strength that doesn't have the flavor of the world, the, the, the flavor of just always winning, always succeeding, always doing so well. But it's a strength that comes even in weakness, even in loss. And ultimately, it's a strength that causes us not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt Jesus. For the sake of Christ, that's where true Christian strength lies. And I pray that 2021 would be a strong year for you and for me. Because it's for the sake of Christ. That's actually why uh, the first sermon series for 2021 will be in the Gospel of Mark. As we take a good look directly at Jesus, his life, and his words. Because it needs to be all for his sake, in him and through him. Because he's the one that did it first and did it perfectly and did it for us. He lived that weak, he experienced that weakness. He lived that life of from that weakness came strength. And he meets us in that place of weakness. And perhaps it's a place that you wouldn't expect to meet Jesus. Dr. Michael Horton, one of, one of my old professors, he once wrote this. We must never forget that the place where the triumph of evil seemed so obvious and God's saving care seemed most hidden was at the cross. Just as we find God in the low places of this world, of lying in a dirty feeding trough in Bethlehem, wearily treading the road to Jerusalem and crying out in dereliction on the cross, We trust that he is most present in our lives, precisely where he seems most hidden. I love that. How can we be strong in our weakness? Because Jesus meets us there. Because Jesus is most present there. We just celebrated Christmas. You wouldn't expect to find Jesus in a manger, in a trough. And you wouldn't expect to find Jesus on a cross dying a criminal's death. 
And yet that's where we find him. And as you experience thorns in your flesh, as you experience the weaknesses of this life and of our existence because of our sin or because of other people's sin or simply because of the brokenness of this world, that's where you find Jesus the most. And this power that comes from Jesus is a power, once again, not to exalt ourselves. And when you have a power like this, it actually changes everything about how you even deal with others. Because so much of our relationships, so much of the the troubles we have in our relationships is because we're always grasping for power. Whether we're talking about marriage or with your family or in the workplace, so often it is a struggle for power to dominate, to control. And in Christ, we have this newfound power that allows us to serve, to lower ourselves, to let go a little bit, and to even give because you're no longer trying to exalt yourself. We can live more and more like that. 2021 can look more and more like that because the power of Jesus lives in you. Going back to Paul and the thorn in his flesh, I do want to ask you, what, what is the thorn that you're dealing with now? What is that thorn that frustrates you and troubles you, makes you feel less than? Would you take that thorn and consider this and and actually hear the words of Christ? My grace is sufficient for you. And it's in this very weakness that you can be truly strong, not to exalt yourself, but to exalt Christ, to make much of Christ For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that strength that Christ gives is the greatest strength of all. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come honestly before you, recognizing that truly there is much weakness in our lives and in this world and all around us. And Lord, we we can only hope, we do hope for, for for better days, for a better year, as 2021 begins. But Lord, we recognize that even if weakness should continue, if we should find new thorns and new ways that we're weak, Lord, we're grateful that you meet us in that place of weakness, that we can have a true strength, a greater strength than this world could ever offer, a strength to endure and a strength to exalt you. Oh Lord, we do pray that 2021 wouldn't just be successful and comfortable and easy, as great as that would be. But Lord, would 2021 be a year of doing things for the sake of Christ? We pray, I pray this for all of our people, for everyone listening in today. Would 2021 be a year where we exalt you more than ever? Oh Lord, help us to do this. We are weak and we need your grace. We need your all-sufficient grace. We thank you that we have it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.